Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. I'm James Rudd, I'm the Digital Media Editor here at Heart and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Lynn Miller. Lynn is a repeat guest on the Heart Podcast and today she joins me from Bart's Hospital in London to talk about a review article that she has written which is all about caring for patients after valve intervention. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks ever so much for joining me today, Dr. Miller. Maybe we can start off by having you introduce yourself for the Heart audience. I know you're a return visitor to the podcast, but can you tell people who you are, where you work and, and what you do? Yes, thanks, James. And thanks for having me on the podcast again. My name is Dr. Lynn Miller. I'm a final year cardiology registrar with an interest in advanced cardiac imaging, particularly echocardiography. And I work at Bart's Heart Centre in London. And Lynn, you've recently written a very comprehensive uh, review, which is called Care of the Patient After Valve Intervention. And that's with yourself as the first author, uh, Professor Guy Lloyd and Professor Bhattacharya as the senior author. Can you tell me a little bit about what prompted you to write the review in the first place? What did you think was missing from the literature? Yes, James. So I suppose, you you know, we know that there's very detailed, both recent ESE and ACC AHA guidelines looking at patients uh, with valve disease. Um, of course, these are excellent reference guides and, you know, very appropriate to, to go to. But we wanted to sort of produce a document that was a bit more um, sort of a how-to guide that you could read over two or three pages that would cover the majority of the aspects of the patient's post-valve intervention or surgery. Uh, and something you perhaps could read, you know, over sort of 15, 20 minutes over a morning coffee, for example. Um, so we, we thought this would be useful both for your UK readership, but we hoped also for your international market as well. And figure one in your paper is a really lovely overview of the, of the many different areas that you cover in the review. Can you sort of talk us through the, the main areas that you discuss uh, with respect to that figure, just to give listeners a kind of overview of what's in the article if they haven't got it in front of them or read it already? Yeah, sure. So this is sort of, as you say, it's the sort of main overview of, of what the article entails. So the three aspects, the pharmacological therapies, preventative therapies, and then follow up with these individuals. So firstly, with the pharmacological therapies, looking at antithrombotic uh, medications. So as you know, uh, patients with mechanical heart valves require long-term anticoagulation with a vitamin K antagonist such as warfarin. Um, the Reliance study uh, that looked at Tabigatran versus warfarin showed that you know, DOACs are not indicated in this, in this therapy, in this domain, uh, as there was a higher bleeding risk in the Tabigatran arm and it, the trial was actually stopped early. So it's just a reminder that to continue on um, for mechanical heart valves on warfarin. And then for the other valve interventions, they may be on either a, a direct oral anticoagulant or an antiplatelet agent uh, after. Uh, and there's the nuances of this is, in, is detailed in the paper. And then just importantly about uh, to optimize heart failure therapy in these individuals. Uh, you know, many of these patients have either coexistent other valve disease or have heart failure. So just importantly, that they're on guideline-directed medical therapy, uh, such as ACE inhibitor, beta blocker, MRA, and then the newer kids on the block, such as the SGLT2 inhibitors, that are indicated both for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction and reduced ejection fraction. 
And then moving on to the preventative therapies, I think anecdotally, some individuals don't really have their other cardiovascular risk factors optimized as perhaps best they should. So it's just a reminder uh, to, to treat hypertension, coexistent hyperlipidemia, diabetes, give smoking cessation advice, and also like all uh, patients to give them sort of guidelines for exercise and keeping themselves active and fit. And then uh, we, we talk a little bit about sort of uh, the importance of dental hygiene, uh, seeing sort of the dentist on a regular basis. Uh, in my practice, in the valve clinics that we see our patients, we often recommend that they see the, their dentist and hygienist on a six monthly basis. And then uh, importantly, there's obviously been various changes in endocarditis prophylaxis and the use of antibiotics in this field. So we talk a little bit about both the ACC, AHA recommendations and the ESE recommendations for antibiotic prophylaxis. And then coming on to follow up with these individuals. I mean, many of these patients should have had, uh, if they're, you know, maybe women of childbearing age, um, they should have had counselling uh, about future pregnancies prior to any uh, intervention on their valve. But nonetheless, we do see these patients uh, in the post-valve setting. So it's just to re-discuss uh, this with them and keep it as a factor to, to explore. Um, particularly women with mechanical heart valves can be you know, quite challenging. Uh, they are usually sort of in the WHO risk category three, um, and it's important that they're monitored both with cardiology or obstetric cardiologist and an obstetric hematologist during any subsequent pregnancies. And then importantly, um, ensuring sort of clinical and echocardiography surveillance at post-valve intervention. I think this was kind of a useful one for me as well. Um, as a sort of junior trainee, I don't think I fully appreciated that uh, perhaps patients such as those with um, straightforward mechanical aortic valve replacements without any other coexistent, either LV dysfunction or valve disease, may not actually require routine echo surveillance. Uh, but depending on the specifics of their valve disease, whether they have coexistent valve disease um, that is residual or LV impairment, they may require sort of more frequent surveillance. And that's outlined in figure four. And then just to uh, also just the importance of what these patients being monitored in the anticoagulation clinics, if that's appropriate. I mean, it's such a comprehensive overview. It's really a great read, uh, especially for me as a non-valve specialist to to really keep myself up to date with the latest areas of development. As you say, guidelines are changing all the time. Are there any areas of care for the valve patient that have evolved recently that you'd like to highlight to perhaps non-expert listeners as somebody who's steeped in, in valve disease every day? You've mentioned a couple already there in terms of mm -hmm. you know dental prophylaxis and the, mm -hmm. the fact that the DOAX you know, shouldn't be used for mechanical valves. Anything else you'd like to, any other areas that you'd like to highlight from the review? Yeah, I think it's quite important. Um, one of the, you know, TAVI is becoming an incredibly mm. more sort of used uh, procedure. Um, and there was a paper published in the New England Journal in 2020 that's made it into the most recent guidelines that aspirin is non-inferior to dual antiplatelet therapy. So most of these patients now, unless they have another indication for anticoagulation, such as AF, should be on single antiplatelet. So I think that's a sort of useful one to take away. Um, and the other thing, we, we don't cover this too much, but I've also got a bit of an interest in obstetric um, cardiology. And so we talk a bit about, about the AHA and ACC 
guidelines about you know mechanical heart valves mm. i think in clinical practice what may evolve over the next few years and and definitely is becoming practice throughout some uk centers is that many of many women with mechanical heart valves are there's a move towards low molecular weight heparin throughout pregnancy oh really so right from not, the beginning yeah so this is not necessarily sort of outlined in the paper but i think it's kind of watch this space so that's something that's evolving uh, due to, unfortunately, despite, you know, excellent healthcare in the Western world, these outcomes being less favourable. And some anecdotal experience that you see in some of the literature, um, you know, there does appear this may be something that becomes routine practice and actually may be safe, providing there's very strict monitoring with factor 10A levels, both pre and post. So that's something I find interesting, something that's probably evolving. Mm. Um, and presumably there are trials or studies or retrospective analyses going on to to pin yeah so i think there are the registry data that's being looked at Mm. um and some centers are you know producing their own kind of data but i think probably maybe give this three to five years and practice may change Mm, absolutely um one thing that struck me from reading in the review was when you talked about cardiac rehabilitation after either surgical or uh, non-surgical valve intervention and the fact that there wasn't huge uh, evidence base for prescribing that for patients can you maybe talk a little bit about that because I, I assume that that was something that everybody would have but clearly that's not <laughs> I'm basing that on an assumption rather than evidence yes I think um you know that was sort of surprised me as well of course we know the wealth of data uh, in the post coronary intervention mm. post MI sort of data and there's, there's no doubt about it that um there's a strong evidence base for that um, there is some evidence that perhaps in the shorter term it does, um, there may be favourable outcomes, but a Cochrane review was kind of a bit equivocal. Um, and I think this, you know, so firstly, my take home from this is that this is still important and useful perhaps on an individual basis. Uh, some patients may be detrained prior to any surgical intervention, either because of their valve disease or for other reasons. Mm. And on an individual basis, it may be beneficial for exercise rehabilitation. However, we just don't have the evidence data for it on a sort of uh, more widespread basis. And I think that may come with more trials, but as as yet, it lacks a sort of strong evidence base to kind of uh, make it into sort of guidelines as such. And can you talk about a little bit about the need for for dedicated valve clinics where you have teams of specialists, both cardiologists, interventional cardiologists and and surgeons all in one place. Do you think that's the direction of travel now where patients will be referred in from their local hospital um, to be discussed at a a valve MDT? Because clearly there's far more uh, percutaneous interventions now. I mean, I think you mentioned mitral intervention in the article as well, but things have changed even over the last five years, haven't they? Do you think there's a need now for a, a kind of almost regional valve clinics, valve MDTs before any intervention and then following intervention? How should these people be followed up ideally? I think it really depends on your sort of regional service as well. Mm. Uh, I mean, our, our practice within the Bright's Health Group is that we do have uh, designated valve clinics, both physiology-led and physician-led uh, at the tertiary centre. Um, we also have, uh, there's a, designated mitral uh, MDT and a general valve MDT. Okay. But we also have excellent links with our local district general hospitals. So whether every centre needs a designated valve 
uh, clinic. I don't know whether every unit may, but I think you need to have good links with your team. So it's useful to have someone with an interest in, in the local hospital, but also somewhere, a forum, for example, an MDT or good collaborative links with the tertiary centre where there's no delay in getting patients referred or seen if they require future intervention. And I imagine that uh, throughout the UK, there's sort of similar kind of setups, um, but that's what the practice at within the Barts Health Group. And can you just, for people who are not familiar with, with Barts Hospital in London, can you describe a little bit about the hospital? I mean, it's an enormous hospital, isn't it? In in the centre of London, serving a large population of, uh, of of patients referred in from around there. Uh, how many, do you know roughly how many valve operators there are or how many operations are done per year? It's an enormous place, isn't it? Yeah, actually, off the top of my head, unfortunately, I don't have that data. Uh, we do a lot, but um, you know, we do cover quite a big area. Um, mm. And I think it's, uh, you know, as far out sort of within London, North and uh, East London, but it's also into Essex and other areas as well. Right. Um, you know, I think I think it's just really important that, uh, you know, that there's a pathway. So whatever yeah. your local region is, there just has to be a pathway. Uh, and that could be slightly different depending on the services. Um, you know, most centres might have someone with an interest in echo or valve disease, mm. and they can. Many of these patients can be followed up uh, in the you know local hospitals, of course. But as long as there's a way to get them seen, so there's no delay to any timely intervention that may need to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this review, as I should say, concentrates on care of the patient after intervention. But I was really just asking your sort of local practice. But it sounds like you have a very joined up practice both before and then potentially afterwards the patients go back to their local hospitals for for follow-up yeah anything else you'd like to share Lynn as somebody who's an expert in these areas any other areas of practice that you think are interesting for the listeners well I suppose there's lots of um you know that as you say sort of structural intervention is really taking off no, not just mitoclip, triclips, you know mm. um that's a really evolving area it's it's really exciting I think uh, also mini mitral operations you know from the surgeons as well so I think you know it's a constantly evolving field and I think uh, you know it, it is um, you know it's exciting so hopefully I can inspire some other people in this field. <laughs> What's a mini mitral operation I can't let you go without asking you that. Oh you'll probably have to ask one of our specialist surgeons but <laughs> it's basically a slightly less invasive um, uh, surgical procedure so it's really good for uh, you know rehabilitation etc means they don't have the same recovery time oh, okay uh, okay it's a new it's a new uh, surgical procedure that's been brought to to white's health is that for repairing the mitral valve presumably rather than replacing the valve uh yeah i believe so yeah okay i'll, I'll put a link in the in the show notes so people can find out more about that the, the mini mitral aspects brilliant anything else you'd like to share or, or where can people go and find out more about the article and bart's hospital in itself yeah, so I mean, uh, people are more than well, uh, happy to follow me uh, at Dr. Lynn Miller on Twitter. Uh, we also have at Barnes Echo. Um, you know, we have lots of uh, Echo based sort of training opportunities as well. So have a look out for those. We run a Stress Echo um, TOE course, et cetera. So if people are interested. Um, and what's your favorite imaging modality, would you say? Is it, are you Echo person? Are you an MR person? or? I'm, I'm an echo person, okay. uh, particularly I love TOE. So um, that's my area of particular interest. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join me, Dr. Miller. It's been a great pleasure to chat with you again. 
I will make the article free if it's not already open access uh, for a few weeks after the publication of the podcast and so people can go and read all about it. And also feel free to give us a like and a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice as that really helps us to reach new listeners. And uh, yeah, thanks again for joining me. Thanks. Thanks.